We're about to hear the 101st podcast featuring Luke Gould. As we discussed last week with Barry McInerney, we reflected on the previous six years within Barry's career as CEO of McKenzie. And we're talking about Luke, what he's looking forward to over the next six years and beyond as he steps into his role as CEO. I hope you enjoy. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Information relating to investment approaches or individual investments should not be construed as advice or endorsement. Listeners should seek professional advice for their situation. Welcome to the McKenzie Investments Podcast. My name is Matthew Schnur. I'm delighted to be here with Luke Gould. Luke is the newly appointed CEO at McKenzie starting on July 1st. Luke, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks, Matt. I, uh, I thought that we'd spend a bit of time talking about the future of the, the Canadian wealth space. Um, you're, you're coming into the role. Uh, you have a very long career with IGM, so none of these questions or thoughts will, will be new to you. But I, I'd love to focus on maybe what you expect in, over the next medium term, call it three to five years or so. Uh, and when I think about the wealth uh, space or asset management space as well, uh, and I think about our business, it's really a talent business. Uh, we don't produce widgets. Uh, the, the work of uh, the individuals uh, really drives investor outcomes. And I'm curious, uh, what do you have in mind to ensure that McKinsey uh, maintains its position as an employer of choice? There's quite, quite a few things, Matt. So, so I guess number one, we're, we're a professional service business. We're, we're about talent. It's the people who make it special. So that's uh, focus number one for, for us is to make sure we attract the very best people. And, uh, and we, we attract people who are, you know, are client-centric, who've got passion, who've got energy, and, uh, and, and really, uh, I, th- I think also importantly, as we're preparing a team, we're actually creating a team purposely that complements each mm-hmm. other. And, and we look at how we actually you know, compose the people here in terms of, in terms of who's here and, and how they work with, with others on the team. Great. Maybe, maybe expand a little bit on uh, sort of that complementary skill set. Um, it's certainly something that we've heard a lot about. Uh, I recently had Barry on the podcast. He talked a, lo- a lot about diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, is is the complementary uh, framework really taking a look at sort of that uh, equity, diversity of thought, inclusion, and and maybe how do you how do you source that uh, when you're going to the market looking for talent? Yeah, I'd say that's that's part of it. Is is DEI? That's obviously one of our key themes here, and and so that's that's something we're quite purposeful about. Um, when we go to, into the market, we uh, it, it's something we're looking for. We're, we're always looking for for merit as number one, and making sure we're giving people opportunities. Um, so, so, so equal opportunities kind of core to our theme. But but creating a team that's diverse, it's um, it's it's quite nice to offer in the Canadian marketplace that we, we want to attract like minded people. We, we think our culture is a real advantage, and uh, and and right now we've got a lot of a long way to go when it comes to DEI. But uh, we, we think we've made great strides uh, in, the, in the last few years, in particular on, on investment management. Gender has been a, a challenging one. I, I've often used the, uh, the example of my wife's profession. Uh, she's a veterinarian, and 90% of the profession is female. And uh, I've, I've asked the questions to my wife many times why that's the case. And uh, in our profession, we actually have the theme that you know, in veterinary medicine, as long as somebody's qualified, you know, Scruffy the dog really doesn't care the gender. Uh, in, in our business, we, we believe diversity creates better outcomes. It, it creates better outcomes in so many ways. One of them is different points of view. The, the other is actually being able to relate to the people that you're working for. 
And, and so uh, in, in our business, we think it's very important that we have diversity. And, and uh, when it comes to investment management in particular, we're still only 20% female at this point in time. We're, we're, we're 50-50 on accounting, the legal profession, and so many others. But on investment management, we're still working from 20%. At McKinsey, we're a bit higher end and we're working hard. And, and where our focus is, is really attracting people into the profession and, ma- and making sure that we are reaching something that feels more like parity. Very good. Um, maybe another question uh, specific to talent and, and really I'm thinking maybe more of the, the higher echelon uh, participants of the organization, the senior folks. Um, you know, what, what, when you're looking for people to identify someone as, as, a, as an ex- a successor or, or particular talented, what non-obvious characteristic do you look for? I mean, I think the obvious ones, you got to be smart, you got to be hardworking, you have to be dedicated. All of those are, are natural. Uh, is there anything non-obvious that you look for specifically while identifying talent? I'd say that's a tough one, Matt, because I think all the things we look for, they, they tend to feel obvious when, when you point them out. We're looking for enthusiasm, passion, integrity, client centricity. Um, mm-hmm. And depending on the role, we, we, we want them to, to really be uh, be leaders and be people who inspire other people. Um, the only other thing I'd, I'd point out is, is really looking purposely to help people complement each other. Um, and I've, I've done a gazillion um, psych- psychological tests in my time, along with peers, I, I know what my qualities are, and we've always thought the, great, the greatest leaders are, are the leaders who know what their strengths are, and that they really uh, surround themselves with people who complement uh, them and their own strengths. Perfect. Um, you referenced culture in your, one of your previous answers as being an advantage at McKinsey. Uh, I think that many business leaders in general would think that culture is one of the things that's um, most profoundly changed during COVID. Uh, the work from home, uh, that that sort of social uh, network and fabric, um, that uh, that virtually it's it's often hard to replicate. Um, you know, what do you think about uh, the future of work, uh, and how does the office and and uh, virtual and this hybrid work uh, come together in your mind? I think the future is so uncertain, still, Matt, and uh, we we get so many questions from from all of our, our team on what the future is going to look like. And, and right now for so many of us, I'd say, A, we're, we've been so fortunate to, to be in a, in a line of work that can be done 100% remote and, and the relationships have still uh, stayed intact. And uh, we've been able to work with clients and we've been able to work with our teams uh, remotely and, and it's been it's been effective and, and it's been very pro- productive. That, that said, we've clearly lost something from not being in person. And for me personally, the last two months have been just great actually being on planes again, being in front of people and, and, and you realize what you're missing. Um, so I think the organizations that will succeed are the ones who, who really get it right with their talent, knowing what they want and being able to work for it. And I'd say one surprise we had in the pandemic is how well platforms like Teams and, and others worked where everyone had their own square. It was very democratizing. It, it was very right. inclusive. And uh, I'm finding the hardest thing now is the hybrid where some people are in the room and some people are on, online on using Teams or other applications. It's it's actually it requires a lot more uh, muscle to make sure everybody's ideas are respected and everybody's properly included. It seems like binary solutions are easy of having everyone in the room or having everyone on uh, on Teams or an equivalent platform. But but I think that's going to be the, this challenge is really perfecting how does hybrid work and how do we make sure we're uh, we're catering to what our people want for themselves and uh, and what we want in terms of culture and finding those venues where we're all together. And uh, and really uh, accommodating people who, who want to work remote and are, are comfortable working remote. Perfect. 
Um, I didn't give a lot. Of, I know I didn't give a lot of answer there, but uh, <laughs> I think the, the question is: we're, it's going to take a while to perfect it. But but those organizations who are, I think the most flexible are, are probably going to win. Perfect. Uh, yeah, we've certainly seen uh, a number of policies loudly rolled out and then only to have them retracted. Uh, so keeping a more flexible approach uh, probably makes a lot of sense in this case. Uh, to switch sort of gears and talk about uh, the regulatory environment that we find ourselves in, uh, we are a highly regulated uh, industry. Um, and I'm, I'm curious, um, I guess, what you're, what you're thinking um, or what you're paying attention to on the regulatory front uh, in the in the next uh, medium term, right now I, I don't see a lot of um, change in the themes. I, I think we can continue to expect uh, focus on proficiency, pro- focus on uh, on on making sure things are transparent, like fees, making sure that conflicts of interest are properly uh, are properly managed uh, by advisors, dealers, and and others. Uh, I think these will c- continue to be the themes. Uh, I think one uh, one really special one uh, is is the theme around. Uh, broadening a product offerings to, uh, to, to, to Canadians. And th- th- this is one where we've been working actively on privates and, and making sure that the missing middle, as we call it, is made available to, uh, to Canadians where private asset classes and others have traditionally been the purview of institutional investors like pension funds. Um, and, and we end up in this time at you know, 2022, we, we still have remarkably low private asset classes within, uh, within Canadians' own uh, savings. So, so I think that evolution into a, a wider product offering is going to continue. And I think all the themes that we've seen, the client focus reforms and elsewhere, those are just going to continue to evolve. And they're the right themes, you know, focused on conflicts, focused on transparency and, and making sure people are getting value for what they're paying for. Great. Um, and maybe we'll come back to sort of privates uh, later on in the conversation uh, if, if we end up getting there. Um, I'm curious, there is a one change on sort of the... Um, regulatory type front, which is uh, IROC and MFDA uh, coming together. Um, when I think about the our business, and, and this is oversimplified to be sure, but I think of the MFDA having sort of a unique culture. Uh, they tend to be independent. They tend to be planning focused. IROC having a bit of a different culture as well. They often exist in larger organizations, uh, often sort of looking more uh, thematically at investing potentially. Um, do you expect that the merger of these two firms will change the culture of either uh, other type? Or you can disagree with the, the tire construct if, you, if you'd like as well. <laughs> yeah, no, actually, I think, um, so, so one, I'd say that there's been a continued um, focus towards proficiency. That, that's going to continue, ma- making sure that those who are, who are actually facing clients, you know, the properly credential, clients understand who, who and what they are, that those themes are going to continue irrespective of, of the merger of IROC and MFDA. And that's just a good trend that's happening. The, the nature of, um, of what these advisors are and the different segments of them, I think it's, it's much, it, it goes well beyond the licensing and, and whether there's two uh, SROs or one SRO. Uh, right now you see it, whether uh, it's in an IROC environment or an MFDA environment, some folks are, are very uh, planning oriented and, and want to delegate portfolio construction and asset allocation to others. And, uh, and others uh, are much more hands-on and, and they want to create their own models or their own portfolios. And, and I think that's something that's really going to transcend this, that you're just going to have different advisors who, who tend to run their practice differently. And, uh, and for, from McKinsey's standpoint, we want to make sure that we're, we're actually addressing the needs of all these different advisors as they build their practices right. and as they create, create great solutions for their clients. Great. 
Um, maybe to shift now to uh, sort of the, the highest level at the IGM level, um, Barry's uh, tenure uh, certainly was uh, um, busy as far as the mergers and acquisitions go. Luke, I know that you uh, worked on uh, all of them uh, fairly intimately as the CFO. Um, are you expecting that level of activity uh, to continue? Yeah, I actually, you know, I really would, Matt. I, uh, I think right now... We'll... I can tell you what we're interested in. We're, we're interested in things that uh, extend our product capabilities, expand distribution reach. You know, these, these are not new themes. Uh, we've talked about things that, that aren't interesting to us. Um, anywhere where we're doing, a, you know, an in-market acquisition that, to combine something the same as us together with us to get expense savings. Those are things we're not that interested in. As we mentioned, we're a professional service business. When it comes to talent, we, we'd rather just attract the talent, whether it be portfolio management talent, distribution talent, or the like. Um, but but you can expect us to continue to 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 purposely engage in acquisitions where, where there's something that can really uh, give us uh, capabilities we don't have already. And uh, I, I'd say the acquisition of Greenship was something we did to do that. Um, the acquisition of ChinaMC was something we did to do that. And, and things that expand our distribution reach, like GLC expand us into group while also giving us some enhanced uh, investment to, to add quality uh, talent, um, as well as um, Northleaf was a great one that's really expanded us into private asset classes. So, so I'd expect it to continue as we evolve our business. And right now with the, this market environment we're in, th these are the moments we wait for. There, there's, a, there's a lot of change going on. And, uh, and this is probably turning more into a buyer's market than a seller's market. And uh, we've worked so hard to make sure that we're ready for environments like these with, with the right uh, financial strength to engage in these type of climates. That's great. So you're, you're seeing today's market as an opportunity as opposed to a drawback with the cost of capital going up. Uh, you're, you're seeing that the potential uh, discounted price or, or ability to, to attract these firms is actually increased in these conditions. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, as CFO, that was priority number one is maintaining financial flexibility to, to really capitalize on opportunities during downturns. And, and so in a, in a choppier market like this, it, it creates a lot of opportunities. Great. Um, Maybe we'll, we'll stick on the market. And I'd say that the uh, certainly we're in, uh, uh, I mean, currently as we speak, I think all major indices are down over 3% um, on, uh, it's June 13th that we're recording this. Uh, and, and a lot of the current market volatility is really being driven off what I would argue or what uh, professionals sort of view as two longer term trends, um, which is that interest rates and inflation seem like they're back uh, in some way. Um, the last decade has been characterized by very low interest rates, very low inflation. Uh, I'm curious, what impact do you think that a um, you know longer term, higher rate of inflation or higher interest rates will have on our business? I think two two key things for our business on uh, on this is is one, the, the need for advice. This these are moments where it's not just interest rates and inflation. There's so many things at play that are moving. And, and Canadians actively need advice. So, so I see this uh, this moment as being one where relationships are made and, and where, uh, where wealth managers make good on their promises to their clients to, to be with them, be in front of them, talking to them, making sure that they're invested and making sure that they're pivoting where they should be. So, so I'd say the need to, for advice is, is reinforced in an environment like this. I, I'd also say active management is uh, it's actually a good moment for, for active management as well. These are markets where, uh, where where there's just more opportunities to generate alpha, and uh, and so we view it as a very good mar market for that. I, I would say on interest rates and inflation as well. I'd say for the industry, it's um, it, it's it's hard 
to, to charge an advisory fee or management fee when uh, when interest rates are so low. And I, I'd say with interest rates recovering to, to normals, levels that are more normal, uh, I'd say that's also a healthy thing uh, longer term for the industry, where I, I'd argue that the last uh, eight years has not been the healthiest uh, environment in a lot of ways uh, with interest rates being so low. I, I think it's also a great moment for uh, for people who rely on income to, uh, to actually uh, have yields that, that are much more respectable. Yeah, and then and then Matt, it goes without saying, but there's a, a whole bunch of different product opportunities that uh, that, that are much more uh, suited to these type of environments. Uh, floating rate funds, I, I expect, will do quite well in an environment like this, and, and to really be in need. And uh, and for those pivoting right now, um, there's a, there's a whole bunch of different uh, places in the market where you you might want to get exposure um, if you did think inflation was going to continue. Thank you, Luke. Yeah, that's great. I'm curious, uh, you referenced uh, the acquisition of Northleaf earlier on, you referenced uh, privates getting into the hands of more Canadians. Um, what do you think about the backdrop of higher interest rates, higher inflation that we seem to be in, uh, and this idea of migrating to private investments? Yeah, I, th I think in the current environment, and uh, I think in the previous environment, it's just a, it's just a great thing to try and enhance your risk return uh, profile but by, by, by increasing the diversity of what's in it. Privates has been a missing part of the market. Um, private equity, private credit infrastructure, these have grown to be tr significant asset classes. There, there's so many firms that are cho choosing to go private. So if you really want a robust portfolio, it, uh, I, th I think it's, it's just a great idea to get some of it in your clients' portfolios to, to make sure you do have that diversity. I'd see an environment like this. We're, we're excited about our private credit offering. Um, it's 100% floating rate. And, uh, and so an environment like this, you can think of it as a prime plus product. You, you've got this, this yield and, and this spread that's regular. Um, we, we do have an interval fund that offers liquidity on a quarterly basis. Um, but, but this is a way to get a, a much more suitable yield um, because of how it's constructed with private asset classes. And, and again, it is floating. And, and so the rate will, uh, will rise as, uh, as, as you know, the, uh, the interest rates rise in the country and, and as inflation, inflation rises. Perfect. Um, and maybe we'll conclude today. I'll ask out just one last question. What's keeping you up at night, Luke, uh, as you sort of take uh, the CEO reins? Um, I, you know, is there is there a particular area that you're concerned about? Uh, and has that changed at all uh, since your appointment? Yeah, see, nothing particular keeping me up at night right now, Matt. I'd say uh, we're obviously in very volatile markets. And, and that's one thing that uh, that all of us are focused on. I'd say I'm, I'm more, much more focused on the long term. Um, I, I've been quoting what I've called Barry Six. It's the the six things McKinsey did under Barry's leadership. Uh, we, we tripled our AUM. We doubled our profit. We consistently gained market share in Canadian retail. Uh, we expanded into relevant product categories uh, built around our five product themes. We expanded our distribution reach, and we consistently grew our advisor and employee engagement. I, I want to do all six of those things again over the next uh, the next five years. And so that's what's keeping me up at night is, is really making sure we're focused on doing that. And, uh, and yeah, I've got big, big shoes to fill with Barry as well as Jeff Carney before him. So that, that's, that's what keeps me up at night is this opportunity to, to really build on, on the foundation we have. Well, Luke, uh, thank you very much for taking the time to speak with me. Uh, all the best on fulfilling uh, those goals. Uh, and uh, we'll make sure that we stay in touch uh, throughout your tenure here. Great. Thanks, Matt.
The content of this podcast, including facts, views, opinions, and recommendations, is not to be used or construed as investment advice and is not an offer or an invitation to buy or sell any security. The content of this podcast should not be relied upon for any purposes and McKenzie Financial Corporation is not responsible for any reliance upon it. This podcast includes forward-looking information that reflects our current expectations or forecasts of future events. Forward-looking information is subject to risks, uncertainties, and assumptions that could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed herein. Our views are subject to change based on market conditions. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees, and expenses may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the fund facts and prospectus before investing. The indicated rates of returns are historical annual compounded total returns, including changes to unit values and reinvestment of all dividends or distributions and does not take into account sales, redemptions, distribution, or optional charges or income taxes payable by any security holder that would have reduced returns.